Hey listeners, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to episode number three of Spilling Buckets. We are honored to have our first guest on the show, who's actually my father. Dad, how's it going? It's going well, right, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. We wanted to uh, dive into some uh, pretty intense NBA talk here today. Um, starting off, obviously, there's only been three to four games with each team, so it's certainly overreaction season around the NBA. Um, but just watching a lot of games, which is what we've done. We've watched way too many games. My dad is probably already exhausted with the amount of NBA content that I've brought forward. But we're going to try and give some overreaction, some teams we like, players we like, and just some of the uh, drama around the league. So uh, just to start it off, I wanted to ask you, who is your favorite bad team to watch so far, Dad? That's that's an easy one, being a... Uh... Long time, long time diehard. And this is my maiden voyage on the podcasting world. So I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, but I'll get over it. Uh, it's got to be, it's got to be the New York Knicks. And it's strictly because of the laundry. You know, I, I root for the laundry. I'll be the first to admit it. You know, you think about it all the time. It's like, you know, some guy could grow up in Massachusetts or LA being a diehard Laker or a Celtic fan, hate the Knicks his entire life, or probably doesn't hate the Knicks because they've been so bad. Why would anyone hate the Knicks? But then they come to New York, they put on your laundry and you love them and you root for everything. You know, uh, the kid Barrett has a really nice first game, a few threes fall and we think, oh my God, this is it. He's he's ready to become a star. And then he disappears game two and the same bricks happen. But, you know, as a Nick fan, you're always optimistic and always see the positive in guys. And it's been about 25 or 30 years since they've been competitive. And uh, I'm always going to be blue and orange. It's just, it's just it gets more and more difficult as time passes. Well, the Knicks are you, the Knicks. Well, the Knicks are looking to get to 500 tonight, and we cannot hide the fact that there is some further reasoning there. Given that you did take the over for the Knicks, which you had regret prior to the season even beginning. <laughs> Bad emotion. <laughs> so there, as much as you might like, like R.J. Barrett, and as much as your uh, your upbringing led to you to be a Knicks fan, I would imagine that over has a slight. Uh, is a slight it was, reason, a, it a, was slight a terrible pass. bet. I read it. I had just coming off an article on Thibs and and how he has them playing defense and how they expect to win. And I actually cared about a preseason game against Cleveland when Cavaliers dressed, you know, six guys from from high school, and uh, I got sucked in. It was just well, a bad decision. Thibs Thibs uh, outlook on. Uh, the NBA might be as archaic as your takes during this podcast, but we'll have to, uh, we'll have to see if that's true. Uh, my least favorite, my least favorite good team to watch so far. And you're probably going to give me shit for this as well has been the Oklahoma city thunder. Um, many people. I wonder why. Yeah. He wonders why 
Many people looked at this team as uh, the only team in the Western Conference that has eaten the fact that they are um, tanking and that they don't have any playoff aspirations. You could pretty much label every other team in the conference as a team that thinks they have a chance of making the playoffs or making that play-in game. Um, but the reason I like this team is not only is it because of Shea Gilgis-Alexander um, and Baisley and Lugens Dort, but also the fact that I think they have some veterans who they're clearly – one would imagine trying to trade for some future first round picks in Al Horford and George Hill. But if you look at the starting five, which is the five names that I just, uh, that I just shared with you, these are five guys that all play solid defense. So I think this is a hard nosed team in a conference um, where you could be facing teams on a pretty nightly basis um, that aren't as focused or dialed in as you would think. And I think that the thunder are going to play enough close games. And we've already seen this both games that they've played have come down to the final minute First game, SGA was able to hit the game winner last night. He wasn't. So they're playing tight games. They played a tight game against the Jazz, and I'm excited to watch this team. I so think they're going to shock us. I think they're going to shock us. Crazy thought on OKC. In their heart of hearts, does the general manager, does the owner, does the, does the real diehard OKC fan want to see them win 38, 36, no. 34 games, sneak nope. into the play-in tournament, surprise somebody, and now all of a sudden get the 16th pick in the draft? No. I think that the – only thing that a Thunder fan would care about are the three are three things, and they're the three players I've mentioned to begin with of Dort, Alexander, and uh, Basley. Those are the three guys that you would imagine that you would want to see them grow. We saw last year that SGA kind of shrunk in the playoffs. Now he's taking on a number one role in his third season. So you're hoping that realistically he could show you that he can be a number one option on a real team. He's probably number two or three, realistically number three. So they're probably hoping that they um, develop, talent. develop that talent and also get the pick. But at the same time, they also have, um, they also have double digit first round picks um, at their disposal as well. So we'll see what they do. And they're probably, as I mentioned, hoping that George Hill who's played well already and Al Horford um, can return them um, yeah. a nice pick as well. Talk about a team rooting for Houston loss every night or for Harden to get dumped. It's okay. See. That's true. Yeah. Well, the other, the next question that goes into this was who is your least favorite good team to watch? I know what my answer is, but I'll, I'll ask you first. And I think so you know my is, answer is too. I think this is going to be painful to you, but I think you've caused this. I, I think that you've turned this house into anti LeBron slash Laker fans because you wear that all over. You're such a pro Laker guy. But I really think the Lakers should almost encompass that villain role and have the us against the world mentality because, you know, everything you read is how this team is more stacked and deeper and stronger than a year ago when they were champions. And uh, maybe they should go with that, that we're the heavies, we're the bad guy in wrestling. We're just going to, you know, pound everybody and, and, you know, bring the team tightness by having that, you know, that locker room mentality of us, us against the world. Well, LeBron tried to uh, portray that mentality his first year in Miami and uh, seemed to regret it. So we'll see if that's the case, but, I think it's well, interesting well, to bring up. The the, most, I'm sorry, but you're talking about the most insecure athlete of all time who, who all right. has great a, maybe the best ever, maybe the best ever. I've never seen a guy less comfortable in his own skin. That's just my opinion. All right. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to get too heated on this. I think that I'm not going to go down the, let you bring me down the route of uh, defending <laughs> LeBron too much, but I think, uh, regardless of how corny LeBron is, there's nothing but respect for him on the court. And I think that any LeBron hater 
would share the same feelings. But I wanted to get into this while we're on the Lakers. All of these NBA... Uh, Larsa Pippen respects him? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to get into the fact that the NBA analysts, the NBA diehards think, and a lot of the players, including Damian Lillard, say that the Lakers had the best offseason, view them as the best team in the NBA, which I think is fair. I think they are the best team in the NBA. But when it gets to playoff time and it gets to closing time with your five guys on the floor that you can trust, especially defensively, I'm not sure they did get better. We saw last night that they were Vogel was testing out Montrezl Harrell late in the game. And we saw that he was uh, being hunted the entire game. Um, Nurkic was dominating him, even Ennis Cantor. So they took him out at the end and moved Davis to five. And if we're on the Lakers, I cannot stand the amount of discussion about does Davis like playing the five? Who Who cares? cares? Who cares? Who cares if he likes playing the five? You sign him to a five-year, $190 million contract, play him wherever you want to play him and win. Davis has said that there are certain matchups where he agrees he should play five and others where he feels he's best suited for the four. But if if you're going to play him at the four at the end of games, it needs to be Gasol instead of Harrell because what we saw in the bubble um, proved to be true last night as they got dominated at the end of the game. And honestly, you could say that he kind of cost them the result. I, I was shocked, you know, watching Montrez and and he has he 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 has effort. He gives it all out there, but he was lost on defense. He he was so in between. Do I chase that guy or do I jump out to the that he was in between all the time and it just became five on four, four on three, three on two every time he was on the court. It was really disappointing. I almost and I, I don't buy Gasol late in the games. I just think getting him to cover someone at the top of the key they'll go right past them. So they almost need to, and, and they have plenty of time to do it. They will pick up a six foot eight wing who will then move Davis to the middle late in the games. I don't care what, I agree with you. What is, what do I, I pay you, you play what I tell you. You know, do. he's playing five in the playoffs. I think he just signed a extension for 200 and what, 40 million. I think it was, uh, I said 190. I could be wrong. I think it was five years. 190 is definitely lower than it is yeah. because that's what yeah, the rookie you know max was. But Sorry, to your, play, play the middle. Play I agree. The so. I mean, to your point, they have guys like Kuzma and uh, Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris closed for them last year. They didn't trust Kuzma. So maybe yeah. Kuzma, who everyone's waiting on to develop, Kuzma's not that young. I think Kuzma's yeah. 26, 27 years old. So I think for the most part, Kuzma is what he is, I think. So we'll see if they trust him late in games. I think they have 70 games to figure it out. But, yeah, they have some time. And, and you know, I, I may be, th- these might be totally mismatches and, I think the Celtics are one defensive wing away. You know, I think Tristan Thompson's really going to help them come postseason. And you're going to watch these games all season long. You're going to sit there and say, this guy is the worst touch I've ever seen. Offensively, he's lost. He'll, he'll, he'll get offensive rebounds and miss pushback so often. And then you watch him in the playoffs and you won't even recognize the guy because defensively, he's a difference maker. I think their problem is Campbell Walker, as good an offensive player as he is, he can't guard a six foot. He can't guard a, a six foot five against Miami or Milwaukee. I think he or, or Toronto. I think he's a total. He has a total loss. So they need to find one more defensive wing. But you know, you put Brown, Tatum, Smart, and Thompson on the court, or James Harden, or James. Well, that, that's a game. That's a game changer. <laughs> no, I, I agree with uh, Tristan Thompson. But the Celtics issue is the fact that we saw it again against the Pacers two nights ago is that late in games, even against the Bucks on opening night where Tatum hit the step back three pointer off the backboard. If you watch in the playoffs too, it seems like 
at the end of games, it's just Tatum taking 20 footer after 20 footer where that can't be the offense. Um, I don't know if he needs more help. I think Jalen Brown is ideally a number three, not a number two option, but to your point, Kemba's an interesting guy because there aren't, he's one of those offensive players that, as you mentioned, he might be a negative late in games. Um, that was the same question that people have asked about Dennis Schroeder, who I thought yesterday at the end of the game was actually playing good defense on Damian Lillard. And I thought in the bubble, he played good defense. So there's that question. All we ask is, can this guy play late in games? Yeah. And you know, it's something you don't see so much today, but when I grew up, you'd see offensive defensive flips all the time. So coaches would use their timeouts, save them at the end of the game. Or, or foul shots, and they would switch. Today's, the egos of these guys are so big. Could you imagine putting Campbell Walker in an offense and taking him out defensively? Like, these guys would suck. So. Well, I think the difference, too, in the game years ago is the fact that um, even hearing Grant Hill say this yesterday, he was asked um, who was tougher to guard since considering he played with all three of them, which is pretty interesting, LeBron, Kobe, and Michael Jordan. And he said that when he played against the Bulls, he mostly guarded Pippen. So he gave the answer of LeBron just based on his passing abilities and the fact that that's something you have to be concerned with. But I think that years ago, you would obviously know this better. I think it was more of like when you play rec basketball and it says, I have James or you have John, no one switched. So you just, you covered that guy. You knew if he was on the floor, that's who I'm covering. Whereas now the game has changed and Kemba Walker can walk out there um, against the Pacers and say, I have Malcolm Brogdon, but two seconds later, he's going to be, he's going to have TJ Warren, a six foot nine guy on him. That's that you're right. The game has changed, you know, and even to the point I was fortunate enough to sit courtside for a calf game when LeBron was there, how physical these guys are. You can't, you can't, when LeBron gets the ball with a guy that's 210 pounds on him, he just calls for the ball and just backs him in so physically with, with arms and back flying that, you know, these guys are just intimidated. So I'm not used to having six foot nine guys, 240 pound guys, you know, handling the ball like they are today. It's a, it's a very different game, but you're right. I get that. There's no such thing as a matchup anymore. No. I mean, speaking of with Giannis Antetokounmpo of my least favorite good team to watch, and this has been the case for years is the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if it's the fact that I like watching good shooting or uh, the fact, I mean, I, I obviously, respect and enjoy good defense, but I just find watching the Bucks to be, uh, to just not be enjoyable. I understand that with Drew Holiday, that might change a little bit. He's a bit of a more entertaining offensive player. Um, so, Chris Middleton's so, the most boring, uh, I don't even know if you want to call him a superstar, but the most boring all-star in the NBA. And I don't think that's up for debate. And I just don't enjoy watching Giannis back down a guy, try and get to the line, miss his free throws, um, this gets to another point of mine. So the Bucks are my least favorite team and they're on fortunately, fortunately for me, or unfortunately they're on tonight against the heat on TNT and then tomorrow on ESPN again against the heat. Um, and I just don't, I didn't enjoy watching them. They don't have any, I, mean, I guess you could say Devin Chenzo, but they don't have any young guys either. That would excite you. I guess Giannis you know, is the young guy. There's an easy way to change that though. There's two ways you could change <laughs> I, I know exactly what these two ways are. Yeah. You could, you could draft a couple guys on your fantasy team and all of a sudden you're a Buck fan. Or trade the guy you hate the most, like Middleton, to the Lakers and watch you love Middleton because he's a great defensive wing that could hit. He's a D and three guy. He is. Well, everyone's a three and D guy now. But yeah, yeah, well, if you look at my fantasy team, you would notice that one, I only drafted guys that I like, which was a fault of mine, which I definitely already realized. And two is I only drafted guys on teams I like watching. 
So yeah. we'll see how I fare. Granted, I have the all sophomore team in that league, but again, nobody cares. But this got this gets me to my next point here, talking about Giannis and closing of what is a closer. I'm a firm believer, and we had this conversation a few days ago, that you will not you cannot win a championship with Giannis as your offensive closer. I do not, I don't foresee that ever happening. I don't foresee him ever developing a strong enough jump shot to make that happen. So, so that's interesting. And you know, he, before your time, but Elijah Wan was the, one of the greatest closers of my, of my life. This guy would get the ball in the post and he could go either way and he could turn around and take a jump shot. And I heard Van Gundy say this recently, all these years of Giannis working on a three, there's not a team in the NBA that wouldn't back off and allow him to take a three. I don't care if he's hitting it at 35%. Why isn't Giannis parking at the foul line? Okay. And if they're going to, if they're going to double him there, that's great. Someone's going to be wide open, but if not get him the ball to foul line, learn a little, a little floater or a little turnaround jumper or pass off the foul line. But he doesn't have to be that, you know, what Tatum's becoming that, that three point shooter that could go to the hole as well. I don't think he's ever going to have that game. Also, why not surround him? You know, the word closer is is how how many times during the course of a season is there a game where it comes down to the last shot? Well, how many teams right? even get an opportunity to close? You have to right. be in a playoff series to even do that. Right. And, and how many real closers are there? Because, you know, I say this to you the other night. Pick up a guy like Lou Williams, who's probably past his prime. But Have you seen Lou Williams in the playoffs? Yes. <laughs> but, but there has to be a handful of guys that are – really one-dimensional offensive players that late in the game, you put them on the court if you're losing, the, you know, to Eric Gordon, you know, a guy like that, who could just go out there and has no conscience, could shoot from anywhere at any time and shoot, you know, 45, 50%. I think the, to your point though, about the not guarding the three, the point Jeff Van Gundy made is true. We even see with LeBron, who is probably a career or career 35% uh, three-point shooter, league average that at least during the regular season, they give him that shot because they understand that if they're playing up close on LeBron, he's going to drive by them and penetrate someone open, but not late in the game, which is, yeah, exactly. Which is where Giannis either needs to improve or also develop a 15 foot fadeaway. Um, While he is a good passer, at the same time, I think that the passing ability also gives you space as well. So, so I have a question for you, you know, being, being a LeBronophile, how could you be the greatest of all time? Seriously. And every time I watch late in the game, I'm like, just go to the hole. You're going to get fouled. You're going to get, you know, LeBron could go to the hole like nobody else, but he won't late in the game because he doesn't want to go to the foul line. Right. He went to the foul line last night, uh, down seven. He hit both free throws to be down five. That's a bad example. He's a very good December foul. He's a very good December foul shooter. Yes. He, he hit his free throws in game five against the heat, but a different, a different point here is about LeBron is that, Game, it was game. So game four is the night the of the finals is game I'm referencing to where I think he went somewhere 11 of 12 from the line. Game six, end of the game, um, down one. He drives on Jimmy Butler, who's guarding him at the half court line, takes him to the rim and gets doubled. Do you want him to, he makes the right, see, this is, this is no, what no, happens no, every no, time. I get that. He gets and, doubled. And, he finds a wide open three point shooter with championship experience. He and he misses job. it. He did his all you could do is set up the best. I don't disagree with you though. I think that LeBron one LeBron one does not want to be at the line in huge spots because that's the only flaw in his game. And two, I think that as 
random people as fans watching the game that have minimal experience playing basketball and have no experience playing at that speed is these guys are exhausted. That's I think that's half the reason that James Harden is able to be so effective is because he's able to spend half the game standing behind the three point line, taking step back threes and has the energy to all of a sudden blow by you because he's been saving that energy. It also helps that he doesn't play any defense for the most part, but you have to conserve energy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Listen, I'm not taking shots on LeBron. He hasn't been a two-way player like him in a long time. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. All right. Well, getting on to the next question I wanted to ask you, obviously there's a lot of young talent in this league. Through the first week of the season, is there a young player that's really caught your eye, whether it's a rookie, a second-year player, anyone, any younger player in this league? So, you know, you're going to, there's, there's a couple, the, the, the kid on, on Golden State, and I don't think he'll be an impact player per se this year, but if he was a stock, I'd jump over that stock because two, three years from now, he's a seven foot one kid with a wingspan that, like, he's like Gumby out there. His arms just, and his athleticism is, is as good as, it. he plays the game like he's six foot six. He has a sweet three point jumper that I, no, I don't, and this is a kid that's played three college games right to the NBA, 19 years old. You know, I, I, you probably agree with me, but. You know I agree he, with you. He's on my fantasy he, team. Well, he, but he, <laughs> I, I don't think you had any idea no. what a shooter this kid could be, too. No idea. I'll get, and the second one that's really impressed me, and I watched him play last year, and I never heard of him before, Dort. Dort. I never heard of him until the bubble, and he was, he was in that Houston series. They would literally give him 10 feet to shoot a three. He eventually started hitting him in game seven. In the first few games – you obviously noticed this because you snagged him. Is last night I hit? I think he hit seven threes. But it wasn't even that. It was a twenty-two-year-old kid that no one's ever heard of. Go, okay, go cover Harden, and he he was not intimidated one bit. Or was he intimidated to take the three? You know, most people, most kids who are, he, it's not like he had a resume all season long that he built some confidence. He hit the court with confidence, and I, he. There's so many good young athletes. I don't know if he's athletically as good as these other guys, but I love what he, I love his heart. I love what he's made out of. Uh, he's going to have a nice 12 year run. I agree. I'm going to give a less, uh, a more obvious answer here and it won't surprise you, but I'm, I continue to be impressed by the progression of Brandon Ingram. I know he's in his fourth season now. Um, he was in a very weird situation with the Lakers. Um, his first year, um, being that it was more of a rebuild year for them. And then the second year, which was the first year of LeBron, was an incredibly awkward season for everyone involved. Um, but now that he's in his second season with New Orleans and he's comfortable, we talk about closers. I think this is one of those guys that I don't know if he – I personally think he could be number one in a couple of years on a very successful team. But he's the type of guy that at the end of a game, this guy can get off any shot. He's – Six foot 11. He's got some of the longer arms in the league. Um, I know everyone wants to compare him to, to a poor man's Durant, which sure, but no one's close to Durant. But I think that this guy is going to lead the Pelicans to a playoff spot on a team where realistically outside of him and Zion, this is not a very good basketball team. They don't have much shooting at all. We don't know what we're getting from Zion as far as how healthy he'll stay. So he's going to have a, he's going to have a large load on him, Brandon okay. Ingram. So. JJ could probably shoot a little bit, but, but yeah, but JJ Reddick's playing 15 minutes a night. No, no, no. But, but you said one thing that I, I don't agree with you one bit. Okay. Well, two (laughs) things actually. A, if you went back and watched Durant year two, year three at OKC, 
he was a really nice player. I don't know if his numbers or his game was any better than Ingram's is right now. His numbers probably weren't any better, but it's just hard to imagine that you're going to find a shooter that you're going to find. The thing is Durant was always a pure shooter to begin with. He elevated the other parts of his games as far as defense passing, which Ingram is a good passer and he is an average to above average defender, but Durant's one of the best shooters we've ever seen. And he's always had that Ingram has had major tweaks to his form. Um, and we've seen that he's reaping the benefits of that, but I mean, yeah. I, I'd be the happy. Second. I mean, I'm not, I, I wouldn't complain if, if Brandon Ingram no, became similar, Kevin, is, similar to Kevin Durant. He is a closer. Durant, I think he's I, a closer think, too. No, I think he is now. I mean, Ingram, I agree. Ingram's missing one thing to elevate himself to the level of superstardom. Dark glasses. He just wore dark glasses on the court, so he didn't look as stoned as he does. He take his game. He just no, seriously. You look at I the know. guy. He looks like he looks like he could give a shit, but it's wrong. Maybe maybe it's a good thing because I think people look at him like he's not into it. He plays hard. No, I think the only thing he needs to really not the only thing, but the main thing he just needs to work on is his decision making, and maybe that comes with better coaching, and better players around him. He. Realistically, he's one of obviously the mid-range game is completely frowned upon um, in 2020, but he's one of the better mid-range guys in the game. You'll see him at the end of a game. He's trying to get a few steps inside the three-point line and knock down that 17-footer because realistically, the guys covering him are typically three to four or five inches smaller than him. So he's so able can, to take so advantage I, there. Can I ask you a really controversial question? Yeah. If Brendan Ingram was six foot eleven, six foot ten at a Duke, which he is. Light skin white, and made the improvements he's made every year. Would everyone be saying this kid works his ass off during yes. the off season? Yeah, he studies. He's a, exactly yes. this kid is a he must be a gym rat or, or you know he's not getting better by accident. He's working his ass off. And yeah, it's a good point. I completely agree. I mean, he's obviously he won most improved player, but then he comes back this season again. It's only been a week, but we see again major improvements. He. We listen to a, my dad and I are big fans of the old man and the three podcast with JJ Redick and Brandon Ingram was on and he made an interesting point that when he got to the NBA and we as fans always underestimate this probably because players don't really talk about it much, at least um, give us a chance to hear it is the fact that he said he got to the NBA and he couldn't believe how far the three point line was. And he was, he just stopped taking threes because he was shooting such a terrible percentage in his first um, season as, as a Laker and it's the second season as a Laker um, that when he got to New Orleans, their shooting coach said, you got to take more threes. And he said, there's no way I'm shooting a terrible percentage, but he's obviously adjusted that. And we can't discount the fact that him being able to take that three just opens everything up. He's able to drive by guys. He's got the wingspan where he's able to jump from the free throw line and reach his arm out and finish in tough angles and tough spots. So I think he has the full game, which you know, I, I think you, know, you just hit on something that's kind of interesting. College basketball might be the only sport I'm thinking off the top of my head, maybe college football with one foot in bounds, unlike the NFL where it's two. I was going to say metal bats. They don't use metal bats in That's college. That's true. And, and right. Why isn't the three-point line the same? Why isn't the court it. the same? Right? We, like and we discount the adjustment. It, not, only is the, it, it, not only is it a longer three-pointer, I think that there's a defensive adjustment because the court is just wider. There's more spacing naturally because there's better yeah. shooting in the NBA, but it is a different game. And we expect these guys and there's always a few players in each draft that come in and 
seem like they've been in the league for a while. We have not seen that yet this year, which is interesting. But you know what's insane? If you, if you watch, and I've been watching this lately, I've mentioned it to you, guys do not miss from the corner. No. It's, I think the shooting percentage from the corner, the three-point range is 35% average shooter. I think it's 45 or 50 from the corner, maybe even higher. It's only, what is it, 20? It's two feet closer than the top of the key. And yet that two feet, Yep. Night and day for these guys. Yeah, they call it in NBA 2K. They, they A lot of players are labeled with the corner badge, um, the corner three badge. And it seems like every player in the league um, has that. Now, I agree with you. I mean, you dry, if you get a guy open in the corner, I think most of these players view it as a layup, whereas the amateur basketball player might like to be from a wing or the top of the key because the corner, obviously, yeah. there's no miss right or left or directionally. Think so. about what two feet, two feet makes such a difference to these guys, but it does. I guess it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that gets, we were talking about the difference defensively too, um, from college basketball to the NBA and currently, um, the Rockets are the last ranked defense in the NBA. They've only played two games granted. They've had to deal with COVID issues. So they're playing with eight, nine guys, some of which do not belong in an NBA court. Um, they're also playing with James Harden, who, uh, it's easy to question his effort or his incentive to try there, but how much, of defense do we think is effort? Do we think it's 50%? Do we think it's a smaller percentage or do you think it's, I think it's communication and effort, but I think it's more effort. You know, I, I used to think it was almost all effort. I did along, too. With, along with experience, you know, I think, and the Rockets are a great example. They're playing a lot of young guys that haven't played in the league before. They don't know how to cheat on D. They don't know how to hook. They don't know how to hold. They don't know how to do the little things, even just keep a hand on somebody to feel, you know, which way they're going. They don't, they're not there yet, but I used to think defense was all effort, but some of these guys, you can't tell me Enos Cantor doesn't try hard on defense. He just can't move his feet laterally. You know, some of these guys are just too thick and the lateral movement is so poor that I don't care how hard they try, they can't do it, right? I agree. Well, I think it works both ways because Enos Cantor is a perfect example. He's blatantly giving his all on the defensive end. He just doesn't have the quickness. But then there's a guy like Kyrie Irving, who we know, is as quick on his feet as anyone in the NBA and has all the athleticism who's for the most part in his career, been a below average defender this year, again, only been three games that he's played in because he had the rest yesterday, which a lot of people were upset tired. with. Um, but he's, yeah, he's tired. He hasn't played in two years, he's but he has been a plus defender this year because of effort. If you have that athleticism and quickness, I don't see why you can't be a good defender. I'm sure some of it's technique. I'm sure a lot of it is mental too. And a lot of it's film. But again, if you play these guys enough, you know their habits. For example, I mean, we say this all the time. This was our go-to when I, when I was younger was, oh, just force him left. So you'd say about James Harden, force him right. But you can't just force him right. It's not that easy. Well, no, but the difference was you were playing against kids that weren't very good. Yes. He's James Harden. But, and you still weren't good. Or Zion. But, Zion, um, can't, Zion can't dribble with his well, – Zion literally doesn't use his right hand. But let me ask you about, about a guy – you know, Kyrie's an example. What makes LeBron special, what makes, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of even Giannis special, they take as much pride on both sides of the court. They, they want to beat you and embarrass you offensively, and they want to shut you down defensively. Kyrie doesn't have, Durant has that. Kyrie never had that. Maybe he's ready to mature and get that. But it was like, as long as I'm getting mine, I don't care if he gets his. I just want to put on a show on that side of the court, not that side of the court. We'll I agree. There's also questions of at what point is your offensive workload 
too severe where it's going to affect your defense. I know uh-huh. there's got, I know who most people view as the GOAT, Michael Jordan. He gave it all on both sides of the floor, was considered the best player on both sides of the floor during his prime. But at the, same, at the same time, yeah, but at the same time, Kobe's another good example, but there are so many ball dominant guys. For example, I don't want to, I could use James Harden. I could use Luka Doncic, these guys, or even a Bradley Beal last year where he's being asked to carry the entire offensive load. Would you think that if they had a guy like Russell Westbrook and he's being asked to do less offensively, then you could expect him to be a better defender and give more effort there? Or do you think that's not an excuse? I don't think it's an excuse. I really don't. And (laughs) Westbrook's the kind of guy I would love to see in a finals because if I'm his, if his coach says go out there and shut him down, just knowing that knowing the athleticism of him right now and it'll go away soon, like, shouldn't he be one of the greatest lockdown defenders in the game? He should, based on his athleticism and effort, and he's been a great defender in his time. I just we and that's the thing we always say too is oh like uh, Paul Pierce, uh, I've got LeBron, I'm going to shut him down this series or. Uh, I don't know if it was uh, – there's some other Celtic um, that used to say he was going to well, uh, There was a guy named Cedric Maxwell before your time who Bernard King scored 42 point ga- two straight games against the playoffs, and he said, I want to cover that bitch. That bitch ain't doing it to me, and he was right. Bernard scored 50 against him. <laughs> well, that's – yeah, but that's the thing. We say, I'm going to shut this guy down, and I think we've learned that with the premier offensive players, the only thing you can do is make them work harder and – uh, and make them tire quicker. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to yeah. shut any of these guys down. And I get you can't do it for four quarters, but I want to see guys in the last six minutes of a close game, just, you know, the old Duke hit the bottom, hit the floor with your hands and say, I'm shutting this guy down and do it. We'll yeah. Try to do it. I guess now with the screens and the fact that you can't really go under screens on a lot of the better guards, because they'll hit a three in your face makes it more challenging. But yeah. asking you as you've, we've watched a disgusting amount of basketball over the last week. And I'll take most of the blame for that is, I would assume you would be ready to admit that the guys in the league now are just night and day more athletic and more versatile than the players you used to watch. The shooting is insane. The shoot, I mean, I don't know if Frazier and Monroe and Brad, they would have learned how to be those kind of shooters because there wasn't a reason to take three, there weren't three pointers, but the shooting of these athletes today. Yeah. It's, I think I said this to you recently, we're going to come back in five years and we're going to see a team of six, nine, six, eight, six, eight, seven, seven, you know, six foot nine point guards, six foot guys handle the ball. It's yes. Athleticism is off the charts. It's 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 quite enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, A few more NBA thoughts before we wrap up Um, the NBA topic here is I was Chris Porzingis today said that he was a full go in practice. So it appeared that he's probably a week or two away um, from rejoining Dallas. We're watching a, once in a generation type guy here in Luka Doncic. Uh, many have predicted Dallas to be the top four seed in the West. Do you think that if KP can stay healthy, that they could compete in the West and compete in a seven game series with the Lakers? Oof. Uh, compete. Or do you need, to, you, need, you need a little bit more uh, time to watch? I, I need to see, <laughs> you know, I need to see, I think Josh Richardson's going to be key because they need a third. I don't know who that third scorer is. I, I don't, you know, who's that when you're doubling Doncic and you throw and, and Brazingas is in a post, who's that guy in the perimeter that's supposed to be Cleaver who couldn't hit the rim last year? He couldn't. I mean, he's good though. 
I guess he's good. He's he not a number three by any means. No, who, who is there? Like, I think that they didn't take advantage of Curry enough last year. And, and I think Curry was the perfect guy to be playing, you know, to play the Steve Kerr, J.J. Redick role of, you know, with Doncic. Who, who are those? Who are their wings? I mean, you can tell me guys like Powell and, you know, who, who are these who are these other guys? Yeah, I mean, I think they have the depth to, I mean, they have the depth in Kleber and um, Jalen Bronson's a very good backup point guard. But I was going to sit here and say that it's now, most of these teams now, they have the big two. So their big two is obviously Doncic and, and Porzingis. But it's not always the big two. I mean, we saw with Toronto, mm-hmm. and granted, that was a fluke. They would not have won that finals, in my opinion, uh, if it wasn't for the injuries that Golden State suffered. But every team, for the most part, they have their two superstars. I think that the reason Dallas won't compete is not only do I not think Porzingis will stay healthy, I don't think he's a number two. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't I, I, Maybe he'll be a great defensive clogger. You know, I, I, maybe he'll be great in the paint at some point. I haven't seen, he hasn't had that opportunity to play in those kind of games yet. So you just don't know what he has, but you know, you mentioned Toronto, Toronto seems to like develop these young guys that you never heard of that they, Van Fleet or Anubi, these guys come off the bench and Chris Boucher. Chris, <laughs> I guess, I guess Chris Boucher, who I never heard of has been really paid years. It's like they keep rotating these athletes and they keep finding these guys and they improve. I don't think Dallas is at that level. You know, I, I'm going to throw something at you that I think is, uh, tell me I'm crazy. Take take LA out of the picture, okay? LA's top tier. They're Both they're LA teams themselves. or the Lakers? Just the Lakers. Just the Lakers. The Lakers are in their own tier. Is the East better than the West? The next seven teams, eight teams, nine teams down? That, that's a good question. That's a loaded question. I mean, I still... Well, obviously the East is different now in the fact that I think the Nets are this, if healthy, the second best team in the NBA. So then you, the Nets. okay, you'd say the Nets are better than the second best team. I would still take the Nuggets and the Clippers in a playoff series over Milwaukee. And Miami? A healthy Miami? Miami's the wild card. I would yeah. say, well, the thing is, I still buy into the fact that the Clippers should be the third best team in the NBA. I know they blew it last season. They still have, you could still argue that in a playoff series, Kawhi Leonard is the second best, the second guy after LeBron you want. I understand yes. he kind of shot the bed last year. Yeah, well, but, and I'll take Kawhi, but I think Paul George needs to grow a nutsack. Or Durant. Put him in. Or a healthy Durant. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the question. But, the thing is, two- the West, you might be, I don't know if you're saying it, but the East after the Lakers might be a better uh, conference than the West. But the difference, the difference between the West and the East is that in the East, you can show up half asleep and beat four or five of those teams in the West – you could say the only one, you could say maybe the Thunder and the Timberwolves fall into that bucket. No one else does. But there's not a Knicks and Sean. You don't get any freebies with the Cavs. Yeah. Well, the Cavs are three. No, and no, I agree. But having Washington and Atlanta improve, you almost go 10 deep of teams that on any given night could beat any other team. Yeah. Makes it Which makes me think everyone was very excited about Atlanta with all the acquisitions they've made. And they haven't even, they just got Capella back last night. Gallinari hasn't played yet. They're 3-0. I know it's early, and I'm not a Trey Young guy, but if you look at his stats, he's averaging 34, very efficient. He's been a little bit better on defense. Is Trey Young the next guy that we're talking about in the playoffs? Could Trey Young win a playoff series? Could Trey Young become Steph Curry? Could he? 
that team doesn't have enough defense yet to get there, but I'll throw you a crazy one. Tell me who tell me who leads the NBA in assists right now, averaging 14 a game. Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well he had 19 Think last, of, 18 last night. So and he only had 10 the game before. He, he that's incredible. He's special. I mean, we I haven't seen a player like him uh, during my time, a seven footer that you run the offense through. Um that's another team. That's another team that seems one guy away. And as much as I like Michael Porter Jr. from the from the games I've watched already, I don't. At least he's not ready yet to be that number three guy that some people were hoping. I wouldn't be surprised if he was shipped off in a in a trade, uh, maybe for in James Harden. In a Harden deal. Send we'll see. I mean, uh, Mike Malone already seems to be frustrated with the fact that he doesn't defend at a high level. He doesn't focus. He's already said that if he can't match up, I can't sit out a guy that's talented, but if he can't match up defensively, what am I supposed to do? That's another guy. That's a guy that clearly has all the athleticism, athleticism yeah. but not only do I think defense is effort, I think it's the part of the game that involves the most mental aspect as well. I don't no, think right. he has the intelligence yet on a basketball court to play defense. Yeah, remember taking a math class and you try and you focus so hard that you find yourself staring through the back blackboard and not, <laughs> not understand anything they're saying and you and you were trying so hard to get it but you couldn't. I think that's what defense is for some of these guys. <laughs> I agree it's, for him, for him especially. Like geometry, yeah, yeah. I think it's also the fact that if you lose focus for one second defensively, and this is a horrible comparison, but I, even playing NBA Two K where you're trying to control the guy that is on the worst offensive player because you know that if the ball gets to him, you are weaker than all of the automated defenders. So you'll control the center because realistically you figure you can control, you can defend a guy in the post, stick your hands up and try not to foul him. But if you lose focus for one second, especially off of a missed shot or even a made shot and they're running on the floor and he's running on the floor, you look to the right, Within two seconds, the ball's in his hands and he's hitting a layup. So the focus cannot be right. underrated. You were right. You were right. That was a terrible comparison. <laughs> <laughs> While I was saying it, I thought it was great. <laughs> I had 2K. But I do get what you're saying with 2K. You're right. And you try so hard, but you're never going to be as good as the computer. So I no. Not that I play too. Good. All right. Well, the la- all right. The last NBA topic before we get to some closing thoughts is obviously there's a ton of noise around James Harden and the trade demands he's made. He won't answer any media questions, but then he goes out in the first two games, specifically the first game, reinforces the fact that he's the best offensive player in the league um, with 44 points and 17 assists. Um, it's kind of this new age of if you don't want to play for a team. These players are of the assumption that you could request a trade and a day later, you'll be on a new roster of your choice. What are your thoughts on James Harden? I'm embarrassed to say this because it's everything against old school Steve. He's such a strange bird. Like I, I still think nobody knows anything about what makes this guy tick. I'm the idiot who was hoping they beat Portland opening night. They'd win two or three in a row. And maybe they will win two or three in a row once they get Wall and, and Gordon and Boogie back. I'd love to see, you know, Harden walk into the locker room, then win three out of four, get hot, and put his arms on everybody in a huddle and say, let's win this thing. Let's, I'm staying here. Let's go out there and win this. But, I, I, you know, in my heart of hearts, I hate guys that just, you sign a contract, especially a guy like him. You sign a contract, I'm going to be GM too. I'm going to say trade, trade Westbrook, trade, trade Chris Paul, make this move, make that. Ah, I don't, it's not working out. Get me out of here. That's horrible. That's just I agree. And I think most NBA fans, though, feel the same way. 
other than the teams that are in pursuit of him is that if he stays with Houston, this is a realistically, this is probably a five or six seed in the West, but maybe that's what he's tired of is the fact that he makes the playoffs and they don't go anywhere. Granted, they did lose to arguably the best team of all time in the Warriors, but I think the reason they don't go anywhere is him. He's the reason they don't go anywhere. He's had, he's had the pieces, especially when they had Chris Paul. Granted, again, they went up against a powerhouse, but the last time they went up against if Chris a team Paul's without healthy. Durant. If Chris Paul's healthy game six, game seven, did he win one of those two games? Yeah, but then what happens in the finals? Maybe they lose. But, but you he's know what? The, but you said it. He's the strangest guy in the league. He, he we don't is, know anything but, about him. But you know what's the difference between a clutch player and, and, and a goat and, and, a, and a guy that just you know tightens up the bounce on the rim? You know, the ball, Kawhi shot bounces in against the Sixers, and he is, oh, my God, this guy's missed it. He's the man. That shot doesn't go in. Maybe the Sixers win it, and we're sitting here saying, maybe they don't. Maybe they lose in the next round. And you, and Simmons, what a great combination, right? If you so, watch game six with the Raptors-Warriors, Kawhi is sitting on the, in the corner, exhausted. I don't know if he has the injury. Uh, he's obviously been injury-plagued. But if you watch the end of that game, it's all Fred Van Fleet bailing him out. Yeah. But then Kawhi is... After that season, we view Kawhi as the best player in the NBA. He's better than LeBron. He's got two rings. Now he's going for his third ring with three different teams. Granted, go go. obviously he had his moments and carried them there. And you could argue that that's one of the weaker supporting casts that a guy's brought to the finals and won with. But if you watch the end of game six, think about some other superstars and what we would have said if, if they, in that fourth quarter, did what he did. Yeah, he didn't have yeah. anyone to bail him out, and if he then yeah. goes to a game seven, goes to, Fred VanVleet doesn't hit a few deep threes, goes to a game seven and loses to a to a team with just Steph Curry. No, I remember watching game six on a plane. You know, when you, when you're on a plane, you have nothing else to do, so you really focus into the game. You're not like sitting there reading your iPad and your phone at the same time. No one else wanted the ball in that game. They just kept looking for. He was the only guy, and he might have shot, you know, twelve for thirty something, but he's the only guy that had the balls to take a shot. Yep. And, so he didn't, he, but getting back to Harden, there's not too many teams in the NBA that you trade James Harden to right now and then out of 45 win in a regular eight. I think season. if you traded him to any team in the, in the NBA, they're in the playoffs. So what does that say? That he's special in the regular season. But yeah. again, all you can really do is, I mean, especially if you're a weaker team, your only goal is to get in the postseason and see what happens there. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure there'll be a lot of developments, but we wanted to get to some closing thoughts. Uh, some ideas you had of, and I agree with this. I don't know exactly what your take is going to be of asking do I. what is a new year's resolution and how long do people usually abide by them? My one thought here is, is not to offend anybody. I don't understand the, okay, now it's one. I understand it's an easy way to say to yourself, all right, new year, I'm going to start new things, but you go to the gym and there's 30 new people. And then uh, the next day there's 20, 10. And then by the two weeks later, none of those people are there anymore. Do they, do you really think that the change of a calendar year is going to, you're going to have like new, new habits? No, New Year's <laughs> resolution was made by Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers and, you know, every gym out there because it's a great commercial way to get people. Okay. I'm going to get my, I'm going to restart my life come January one nonsense. I'm thinking about a 4th of July resolution. I'm going to start that 4th okay. of July resolution where I'm going to try every 4th of July, drink as much beer and eat as many hot dogs as I can. And that's my resolution because the rest of it's nonsense. You're right. 
You do it for a week, two weeks, you made a month, you know, we, we wrote down uh, last year, me and uh, a few friends wrote down, I think it was, uh, it was just fill in the blank on a few questions. And I actually have it in my night table. I'm going to bring it out on New Year's. It's five or six questions. And I could, I don't even remember them, but I could guarantee that at least four of them, there's no way. I think one of them was uh, read more books. I read one book, talked about it nonstop, talked about how much I like reading. I have not considered reading the book since. And you love that book. I did love the book. But I, okay. again, I, I just, I don't know. The next, you, the next I think I think you were also dating a girl that was into reading at the time. So I, I think that might have persuaded a little bit. Maybe. Influenced. Um, the other question, um, and I talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast, is the biggest changes to society post-COVID. And I made this point that I don't think you agree with, but I think that in warm weather climates where people are able to spend time outside, and this isn't to um, take too casually any difficulties anyone's had or the situations people are in, of course, but I think a lot of people in warm weather climates are going to realize that their life's not that much different as far as their their day-to-day hobbies. Yeah, I don't disagree with that one bit. Other than socializing with your buds and having fun dinners out, is not that much of a difference. I, I do think the biggest changes we're going to see in a society is, and you're living it, are you ever going to work five days a week from an office again? I don't know the answer. Some will, some won't. You know, is, is, is a mask something I'll wear every time I fly the rest of my life? Like, you're too young to remember 9-11, but before 9-11, when you walked into a stadium, there wasn't a metal detector, you know, or a building in Manhattan, there wasn't a metal detector. That's all changed since 9-11. COVID's going to, you know, every time you get step on a plane or in a, or in a movie theater, are you going to see people wearing masks in movie theaters? It's going to be weird. Or, or even shaking hands. Are there going to be people that will be giving you elbows for the rest of their life? I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully not too, but I, I do think it's going to be, there's going to be a culture shift in just the way people react. I mean, I think there are going to be people, one, I think there'll be people obviously that are paranoid and that um, continue to wear the mask for an extended period of time, even after everyone's vaccinated. But I think the bigger thing is anytime anyone gets sick, they're going to think that it's more than just a flu or um, a cold or food poisoning. Anytime anyone gets sick now, they're going to think not even that it's COVID, that there might be this new strain of something. Oh, I've never felt like this before. And it's fair to think that, but I think that's, what's going to happen post COVID. You're on the money, you know, and there's been other things over the last 25 years, SARS and some other. Now, every time there's, you know, an article this big on the side of a newspaper, it's going to say in Indonesia, they think that everyone's going to be freaked out. Yep. Everyone's going to be freaked Rightfully out. Rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, it, hopefully it's once every hundred years and we want to deal with it. You know, your lifetime, you never deal with it again. Yeah. That's all we're, that's all we're talking about on COVID. COVID's done. <laughs> yeah. It's Vaccines. done. Um, and then just to wrap it up, one thought on uh, small market teams um, and what they should do to compete. I assume this idea from you came um, from the news of the Tampa Bay Rays trading away um, Ian Snell. I could be wrong. But then also we saw the Cubs, a large market team, trade away you Darvish. I think this gets into a much bigger issue with baseball in general, but let's hear your thoughts. So you're going to tell me I'm crazy, but I don't think there are that many markets. If there are, well, outside of Las Vegas, Vegas is a no-brainer. Outside of Las Vegas, Major League Baseball, NBA have tried other markets and they failed in a lot of different markets. 
because there's not a fan base that could afford to buy 80 games and, and put 35,000, you know, asses in seats for 80 games. Is it insane for there to be, I'm just throwing it out there, the North Carolina Pirates, and they spend, they play 40 games in Charlotte and 40 games in Raleigh. And living wise as an athlete, it's still a great place to live and they're not that far apart, but it's two different fan bases or 40 or Seattle and Portland share a team. I think this is a good idea if it's close in proximity so that the players don't have to live in two different spots, but you also have to have two stadiums. That's okay. Absolutely. But I don't think that's the problem. You know, the stadium, listen, baseball has so many games, 40 home games and 40,000 fans each. They'll, they'll pay for itself. They, they could share one regional sports network. We cover both markets, right? It's in the same geography per se. I'm just throwing it out there. It's just something a little different. Maybe it'll, it'll probably never happen. Do you think it's worth giving up on an entire state such as Florida, where they have two teams, one of which we've seen be one of the better teams in baseball every year for the past decade, and they still can't get fans at the games? No, but maybe if they played, maybe if the, the maybe if Tampa played 20 games a year in Orlando, which is an hour away, maybe that would help them support playing playing. Maybe those, you know, those fans that, don't, that only go to five, six games a year, there's only 60 home games down instead of 80. It gets a little bit more economically feasible. I, I don't know. I think it's but an interesting idea. The other thing is for people like us who are Mets fanatics is say the Mets played uh, 40 games in, at Queen, in Queens and 40 games in Rochester. As fans of the team, we would be furious. All right, well, now there's only 40 games that we could even try to attend a season. Oh, now they're going to go th- this homestand. They're coming off a great road trip. They're playing well. Yes. And now this next two week homestands in Rochester. But we're freaks. And they're not worried about it. Yeah, us, we are. Right? We are not. Uh, yeah. And also Rochester is four hours away. You know, that's, that's, I mean, you know, this is way All before right. your time. It's, this is even before my time. But in the NBA, they used to barnstorm because they didn't have enough fan base. So the Celtics would play in Hartford. Then they play in Portland, Maine. They would barnstorm around the New England area. And they would, that's how they'd make money. Cause they, if you only play in Portland once, you're going to get 20,000 to that one game. Right. Well, so. I think also to your point, I think what makes this even more interesting is that due to COVID everyone um, from a technology standpoint has learned how to do their jobs remotely, even with broadcasts. So mm-hmm. one issue with your idea would be the fact that, well, how are we going to produce this game? Uh, does the Mets broadcast team, I know Rochester is far away, but just for the sake of the example, they don't want to travel to Rochester for two weeks but we've learned that they can do these games remotely. I think that this, and we'll get to this point on it. We'll get to this point another time. We have some dinner to pick up, but <laughs> the point is, is that I think this, that there, this I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, I think the point is, is that there's so many things that were accelerated due to COVID that um, in the least ignorant way will actually benefit us moving forward. That's a very, very minor example um, of knowing that games can be broadcasted remotely right. and that you don't need, you don't need a, a broadcast team to travel seven hours across the country to do a game necessarily. Yes. The broadcast is a better product, but it's not necessary. So I think that's one of the minor things that we've learned. I, I agree with that. Although I can't take Gary Cohen taking everything to home run because he can't see the outfielder he's watching on television, but, but you know, there's a lot of money to be saved in production by having guys do it from their home studio. I agree. Well, dad, thank you for joining. Uh, Thanks for joining the podcast. We hope that uh, our listeners enjoy uh, 
your new school and old school takes. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Maybe you'll be uh, maybe you'll be allowed to return on the podcast. Wow, wow. You know, you need a way to, to skew those 55 plus people. That's true. That's true. But again, we appreciate it. And um, we will be back with you guys shortly. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. This was Ryan Jacobs joined by uh, his father. Thank you guys.